Welcome. It's good to see you. If you're here for the first time or haven't been here in a long time, welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, may the Lord encourage us together in the Word this morning. I do want to uh, bring to your attention this morning before we pray a couple of prayer requests. Um, Kathy had mentioned to me on the, this morning before I came in, um, she has a counselee, and this counselee's daughter, his name is Kirsten Roberts, and uh, this morning she is in extreme pain and really on her way to be with the Lord. Um, Kirsten is in her early 20s, and she has metastatic cancer, and her liver is failing. And so uh, this lady called Kathy this morning and asked if we as a church family would pray for them this morning, so let's do that. And uh, we're thankful that she does know the Lord. And that is, that's a wonderful hope in, in times like this. Also, we will, let's be praying for the Kriegel family. Uh, just in their comfort, Shelly, Darren's sister, her funeral will be this coming Thursday. And I'll pass the, uh, the details to that to all of you by way of email. But let's be praying for Shelly's husband, Bob, and her, her daughter and son. Amanda and Andrew this week and their family. And then uh, we'll certainly be praying for the Wickerts and the Dusterwinkles this morning. They're away from us and sick. Both their families are struggling with illness. And so let's be praying for them. Would you stand with me one more time? Let's read the Scriptures that we have before us this morning and then we'll pray together and continue our study. Let's read this text together in unison. Ephesians 6, 10-20 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in the midst of this evil day, You have provided so much for us in Christ. Thank You that You have given to us the whole armor that we need to stand We thank You that You have put Your Spirit within us and that through prayer He empowers our exercise of the whole armor of God. We pray that You would teach us 
from this text this morning more about Your great power and the gifts that You have given to us to resist the evil one in our daily battles of temptation and distraction. Father, we pray that You would teach us these things that we may mature in our understanding and exercise in spiritual warfare. Father, we do pray this morning for Kirsten and her family. Oh, she has suffered so much, Father, and her family is grieving. She is so young to have such a cancer eat away her body. Father, we thank You that that this is just the temple of earth and that we have a home with You far better in the heavens. And that while our outer man perish, our inner man as believers is being renewed day by day. And that this momentary light affliction is working for us a far greater weight of glory. Father, I pray that You would press these truths with great comfort upon the hearts of Kirsten and her family this morning. To be Your will that You would heal her, Father, we would glory in Your greatness in doing such an act. And Father, if that is Your will, it will be done. And we pray that it will be. Father, if Your will is to take her to be with You, Father, grant this family the hope that they need to grieve in a way that honors Christ and finds their refuge in Him. I pray, Father, also for the Kriegels this morning that You would comfort their hearts for Bob and Amanda, Andrew, and each sibling, parents, extended family. Father, we pray that You would comfort them with the comfort that only You can give. And that in this day of, of grief, that they too would know the great hope of being with You forever. And to know that Shelley is indeed in the greatest of joy. Father, we pray this morning for the Wickerts and the Dusterwinkles that You would minister to them and raise them up and heal them according to Your will and in Your time. And Father, thank You for them and what a blessing the they have been to our church family and may we be an encouragement to them in this service and even in the days ahead. Father, we ask Your blessing that You would teach us and that we would be honoring to You. Thank You for Jesus Christ, His perfect righteousness. Even as we are convicted and confronted about our failures and our sins and our struggles and our trials, Father, we know that Christ's righteousness and His atonement His resurrection are sufficient that we stand before You blameless, justified, and are standing in grace. And through Your work in our lives, we will mature, we will endure, and we will not be ashamed because Your love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we look forward to the day when You will complete every work that You've begun in us. And may it be for Your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> We've entitled this series, and this morning is part three, and I anticipate that we'll finish next week with part four. We've entitled this series, Reformation, War, and Victory. And the reason why I chose that title is, of course, we started this series on Reformation Weekend a couple of weeks ago. And when we talk about Reformation, the church, we talk about God working among His people to bring them into a clear understanding of the truth. And not only that, but that through that clear understanding and embrace of the truth, their lives are changed. 
And that's what we want God to do, continue to do in our church. That's what we want God to do in churches all across our community and in the world. Whenever God begins to work in a group of people and bring them along in their walk with Him, the evil one will be attacking. He will attempt to stop the advancement of the Gospel through all different means and many schemes as our text tells us. You can even see how Paul uses that word, the schemes of the devil. And so that's the war part of it. But yet, I wanted to put before our eyes this understanding of victory that even, even though while God is at work in our lives and the evil one is resisting, we stand in the victory that Christ has already won through for us through His life and through His death and resurrection. And He will bring that victory to a final and wonderful revelation and manifestation when He returns. And so, we fight from victory to a final victory. The Christian life is a spiritual battle. We have to know that. If you're familiar with the New Testament on any level, really, you understand that there is a war going on. That war began in the Garden of Eden when the evil one tempted Eve. And so even from that moment, God gave us His Word to say that there would be enmity between two kingdoms, two entities. And and if you're a believer, you know that battle. You might not be able to put all the biblical terms and texts to it, but you know what temptation feels like. And you know the struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. That's, that's the reality of the Christian life. That's the war. And you prove that you are a true believer and that you will win the war or you will enjoy the victory that Christ has already won for you by engaging in the daily battles against temptations and the schemes of the evil one. I want you to know that, and we've talked about this, that this, this overall spiritual war is not undecided. It's been completely a victory by Christ. And you as a believer prove that you are in this war by continuing to wage and stand against the, the schemes of the evil one. Every true Christian is and will be victorious in Christ. But that doesn't mean that every step of spiritual progress won't be met with resistance and attack. It will be. It's, we see it time and time again. The Scriptures prove true when someone comes to Christ or begins to take in the Word of God and make progress. Things happen in their lives all over the place that try to resist and stop that spiritual progress. And a true believer will stand and fight against it, even though there are many wounds and falls along the way. So God has equipped us as believers with everything we need to stand against the schemes of the evil one and overcome him. So the main idea of this text that we've been looking at is this, be strong in the Lord and put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. The battle's already been won. We're called to stand in the victory that Christ has already gained. And so we see this main idea played out in several commands throughout the text. We see in verse 10, be strong. In verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. These are the commands that Christ our King has given to us through the Apostle Paul's writings here for spiritual battle. Be strong in this battle. 
Take courage. Put on the whole armor of God. Use this armor that God has given to every believer. Verse 13, again, take up the whole armor of God. Verse 14, stand. Verse 16, take up. And take. And the sword of the Spirit we're to take. So these are the battle commands from our general, from our King Christ to fight the good fight of the faith, to, to battle the evil one as we live in the Christian life. So the, the question that we've been looking at is, how do we do that? How do we, how do we be strong? How do we put on the armor? How do we, how do we stand? And so we've in our outline, we have four points that we've been looking at. Number one, embrace the ability for the war. Number two, envision the adversary for the war. Three, employ the armor for the war. And that's where we left off last week. We're in the middle of that point. And finally, engage in the activity of the war. Let me just remind you of a couple of points here as we head toward looking at the rest of the armor this morning. We embrace the ability for the war. He says, be strong. Well, how? By remembering that we are in the Lord. Our strength comes from our position in Christ. We've looked at that. Our strength also comes from Christ Himself. The strength of His might. And we looked at that from Paul's prayers. Ephesians 1-3 through describe our position, which gives us this strength and ability for the fight. And then Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1-15-23 and Ephesians 3-14-21 also describe this strength, this resurrection power that comes to us from Christ. It's amazing to think of in Paul's prayers. Secondly, we can be strong and stand against the evil one as we envision the adversary for the war. We looked at the devil. We stand against the schemes of the devil. He is our enemy. Scriptures call him a slanderer, an accuser, an adversary, a tempter, a murderer, a liar, a deceiver, a roaring lion seeking to devour, a crafty serpent, the powerful dragon, some, someone who appears as an angel of light, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air. We have a formidable foe. And he does not fight with flesh and blood. We, we remember that, right? That's, that's an important part of understanding spiritual warfare. He fights with ideas, thoughts. Lies. Things that you would never suspect. That's how he fights. He's a scheming, ancient, brilliant master of mental warfare. And he's not alone in this fight. He has a demonic army. right? We see this in verse 13. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers spiritual forces in heavenly places. Satan has incredible schemes. He, 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 he tempts us to doubt or to deny truth or to disobey the Word of God to discourage us and distract us and, and cause us to fear. All these things he uses. Why is Paul telling us about him and his army? I like what John Calvin wrote. He says, Paul shows him as a formidable foe, not to scare us. Right? This isn't about fear. Right? This, is, this is to quicken our diligence, our earnestness. We're tempted when we 
read texts like this maybe to either sloth or terror, but Paul calls us to be alert. Be, be watchful. We'll talk about watchful, watchfulness next week, Lord willing. But again, Satan's not alone as he tempts people to be discontent and to feel guilty because of their sin even though they are saved in Christ and justified in Christ. He's got a demonic army who has who is under his control in all of these schemes. And as we looked at the details in verse 12, we saw that it's a spiritual army. It's not against flesh and blood. And they attack from heavenly places, as the text says. It's a fighting army. We are constantly wrestling against them. It's a, it's a mortal combat. It's an army of authority and power and organization. We see that simply in the words that are used. Rulers, that's beings of primal position, authorities, beings of some measure of freedom to act according to their will. They're powerful. They are invisible. right? They act in heavenly places. They're an army of darkness. They operate in this present darkness. And they are certainly evil. The text says that we stand in this evil day. And they are forces of evil. And in the face of this army and this foe, Paul calls us to be strong in the Lord and put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. And you can. You can as a believer because you're positioned in Christ. You are safe in Christ. And, and Paul reminds us, you, are, you have authority over these because you are raised with Christ to heavenly places, seated with Him over all these authorities and powers. Ephesians chapter 1. You have Christ's power, and so you can stand. So then how are we to stand? How does Paul tell us that we're to stand against them in all of their schemes and temptations and mental, spiritual warfare? Well, number three, employ the armor for the war. That's what we see multiple times in this text. Put on the whole armor of God. You have it, use it. If you're a believer, use it. And that's what this text helps us to know how to do. Use it. Remember, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, Paul writes, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical. But they are powerful. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Remember, one commentator said, the strength of the Lord gained by using the full armor of God is stronger than all the power of the wicked. We don't have a chance in our own strength and our own tactics to stand against all of this scheming and warfare that comes at us from Satan and, and the demons. But in Christ and His armor, we have all we need. We have way beyond what we need. We are well equipped in Christ. So what is this armor and how do we use it? How do we appropriate it? Well, last week we looked at the first piece of armor. Fasten on the belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And remember, we talked last time about how this armor is preparatory. Having fastened on. Stand, be ready for Satan's attacks. 
having already fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the time to strap these pieces of armor on is now, before you're in the midst of a a horrific battle. You live exercising these these pieces of armor. The soldier's belt was provided to him. It was leather. It was provided to protect his thighs, to attach his sword, to gird loose clothing and quick movement. We've talked about this. Paul says our belt is the truth. Objective truth. right? Reality according to God. All that God says is true about Himself and our existence. That's the truth that is our belt. And that truth, if we take it in, enables us to live a life of truth. We call it subjective truth. Living with integrity, in honesty, unhypocritically as a follower of Christ, being committed to walking in the truth of Christ. That's our belt of truth. Well, how do we put that on? Seek the truth. That's how you put it on. You seek truth with your whole heart. You love the truth. Do not rest until you find the truth and fill your mind with the truth of Scripture. And and that way of life will have an immeasurable impact on what you believe and how how you behave. How do you fasten on the belt of truth? I love how Solomon describes this in Proverbs 2, 1-9. through this is, this is putting on the belt of truth. Here it is. Listen. My son, if you will receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. You seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. That's putting on the belt of truth. Having an insatiable appetite to know God's truth about everything. To have the knowledge of God. God says if you seek knowledge and truth like that, you'll find it. You'll be filled with it. And it'll be a shield to your life. What a great text that is. Young people, hunger after the truth. When you're young, you have a Bible. Get to know God. The time to be prepared for spiritual battle is now. Get ready. Fill your heart with truth. Memorize God's Word. Hide it in your heart. Because the enemy will attack. Then be ready because the evil one will attack you with deception from many different channels. A a book you read. A sermon you hear, a song you hear, a conversation you have, an article you read, a class you take. Satan is skillful in bringing lies and deception to you, but you'll be ready for the attack if you have the truth fastened on because you will be able to identify his lies when you hear them or read them and stand them down with God's truth. That's how you fasten on the belt. And use it. The attacks of the evil one cannot overcome the truth of Christ. Fasten on the belt. Don't buy into the lie that says in our culture that truth is relative. 
Truth is not relative because God is not relative. Someone didn't just sit down one day and write up a list of what is true and what isn't. Truth is a result of the unchanging character of God. That's where truth comes from. Truth is the, is the statement that measures who God is and how He acts in the, in the universe. And so to know truth, you know God. And He doesn't change. And that's how you stand against the deceptions of the evil one. The second piece of armor that Paul calls to us, calls us to put on, is the breastplate of righteousness. Again, we talked about this last week. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's the soldier's metal breastplate. It was protection from back, uh, from, from the neck to the waist and from front to back, protected the vital organs. Our spiritual breastplate is righteousness. It is righteousness. What righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ that God credits to us, that He imputes to us, that He legally declares is ours before Him the moment we trust in Christ and are born from above and are justified. That's the righteousness Paul is talking about here. It is your breastplate. But it's also the righteousness that God gives to us that He imparts to us and supplies to us through the Holy Spirit so that from day to day, we become more Christ-like over the course of our Christian life. Practical righteousness, you might call it. This righteousness is our provision for sanctification. So there's, there's our justifying righteousness, right? That legal declaration of God over us because of the finished work of Christ. And then there's practical righteousness that God gives to us through the Holy Spirit to change us into the image of Christ. And sanctifying righteousness is only given to a sinner if justifying righteousness has already been declared theirs by God. You don't get the practical righteousness without the positional righteousness. But everyone who's righteous positionally in Christ will become righteous practically through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And both kinds of righteousness are from Christ Himself as a gift. And having Christ's righteousness, both of those kinds, is our breastplate. Because the evil one will attack you with, with doubt about your standing before God. He will want to bring back up into your face your guilt from the past, the sins that you've done. He will want to discourage you and attack you, but the righteousness of Christ is your defense. You don't stand before God in His love because of your righteousness or anything that you've done, but entirely because of the righteousness of Christ that is declared yours by an act of God when you trusted in Christ. Our action we put on the breastplate of righteousness by continuing to reject self-righteousness and rejoice in the righteousness of Christ that has been declared ours by grace through faith. And when Satan attacks us, we do not look to our own righteousness to defend us. For we have none. We look to Christ's righteousness alone. That is the beauty of first or 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writes, for our sake, He made Christ, God the Father made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might what? 
be made the righteousness of God in Him. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that He might bring us to God. God loves believers. God loves Christians. God loves us and treats us as He does His own Son, Jesus Christ, not because of our behavior, not because of our moral performance, but because we are clothed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. We are not condemned before God because we have been declared righteous by the true judge already. And His legal declaration is unchangeable. The attacks of the evil one cannot overcome the righteousness of Christ, dear ones. So put on that breastplate. And that battle happens in your mind. right? You, you overcome by the guilt, by the sense of despair and condemnation. Well, you bring up before your own heart and in prayer to the Lord the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ that belongs to you. Thirdly, and this is where we're looking at new material this morning, let us see. Apostle Paul writes, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Here's the illustration that Paul puts before us. The soldier's shoes were heavy leather sandals with three-fourth inch thick leather soles. And these were these soles had, had cleats in them. These leather sandals were, were strapped to the soldier with, with leather thongs that wound up and around his shin. Sometimes even in the winter, the soldier would stuff these leather sandals with wool to keep them warm, keep their feet warm. And again, most importantly, the soles of these sandals were studded with what, what they call hobnails. I don't know how long they were exactly, but, but that would enable the soldier to dig his feet in deeply in the turf. And so that when he would fight hand-to-hand combat, he wouldn't slip or give up ground in the fight. We use shoes like that, of course, in different sporting events. Very helpful, right? It helps us to, to, to take traction. And of course, that's what Paul has in mind with this illustration. The necessity of standing firmly against the attack of the evil one. Now, our spiritual shoes for the spiritual fight, Paul says, are the gospel of peace. Paul says that we are made ready. We're made ready for Satan's assault. We're prepared for his attacks by the gospel of peace. We can dig deeply into the victory of Christ and stand against the schemes of the devil, not giving up any ground because of the shoes of the gospel of peace. In preparation for Satan's attack, we are to be shod. We're to put these on our feet to be ready with the gospel of peace. Now the question is, of course, what is the gospel of peace? Why does Paul refer to the gospel as that? The gospel of peace. What what helps me to understand my piece of armor there? Well, of course, the word gospel means what? Good news, right? Good news. The word gospel has a historic background to it. It's like when a, when a herald riding on a horse would come into the town square from the king saying, I've got good news. Listen, here's what I need to say. But okay, it's called the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. But why is... Why is the gospel good news? 
Why is this gospel of peace good news? Well, because the peace that the gospel is talking about is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Remember Romans 5, 1 through 11. In fact, would you turn there with me? Romans 5. This describes the gospel of peace that we're to put on in order to stand against the attacks of the evil one. Romans 5, verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 11 because it gives this whole picture of who we were before we were at peace with God and now who we are with peace from God. Verse 5, Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous, right? Declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, we are declared, we are justified by faith. Now, what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access. When I'm justified, I have peace with God. I have access by faith into His grace. I stand in that grace and we rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You might ask, well, I thought God was nice. I thought everybody's at peace with God. No, none of us are born at peace with God. Look who we were before we were at peace with God. Verse 6, For while we were what? We were weak. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. As I, as I talk more for a moment about the peace that we have with God, let me just preface this by saying that in the Christian church today, there is a way of sharing the gospel that totally removes our need for the gospel. So often people share the gospel and say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And that sounds so nice and wonderful. And so people say, yes, I'd love to receive Jesus as my Savior. What do I need to do? Well, you just pray and ask God to say, okay, that's great. You believe these things? Yeah, I'm good. And, and okay, it's all right. And we miss the whole point of why we need the gospel. And that's the same thing as asking, why do I need peace with God? And, and I thought I was at peace with God. And look what the text says in verse 6. I am weak to do God's will. I am ungodly in my thoughts and my mind and my life. Verse 8, I am a sinner. Verse 10, I, I was an enemy of God. You see, an unbeliever without Christ loves sin covers sin, worships themselves, 
And that automatically puts them at enmity with God because God is perfectly good and holy and He as the King of this universe will not tolerate His wonderful, his, the creation that He loves living in sin and idolatry. So He hates it. And He has come to be the enemy of the sinner then. Because He is a righteous judge and He must punish sin. And that's what it says there in the text. Look, look at what He says there. In, in verse 9, much more shall we be saved by Him from what? The wrath of God. God, the Scriptures tell us, God is angry with the wicked every day. Who's the wicked? Those who are not in Christ. So if I'm not in Christ, I'm an enemy of God. I'm ungodly. That's how all of us come into the world. And that's how all of us lives our lives until we are justified. What happens when I'm justified? Will all of my sin and my punishment becomes Christ's on the cross? God takes out His anger against my sin, all of His wrath on Christ, on the cross. And then God graciously gives me the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. And I stand justified. I'm at the same time a sinner and justified. And that's how God receives me. Then He begins to change my heart and work in me. That's the path of every child of God. We're born under God's wrath because of our sin. We deserve it. It's right. It's just. But then God in His mercy brings us to repentance and faith in Christ. He gives Christ's righteousness to us. He gives our guilt and punishment to Christ. And we're justified. That's peace with God. We were enemies before. Now we're at peace. That is part of the armor that we need to strap on. Is to remember that if I am justified in Christ, I'm at peace with God. God isn't angry with me anymore. I will never be punished under God's wrath ever because I'm at peace with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another peace that comes from the Gospel as well that is implied in this section as well. Turn back with me to Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 describes the same sort of peace, but then applies it in a, in a relational sense between people. Look at, look at verse 11. Paul again is reminding the Ephesian believers who they were before Christ and then what they have now in Christ. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, and that's pretty much all of us, in the flesh called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision that is which made in, in, in the flesh by the hands. Remember that you were at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. That, that's who we are before Christ. I'm, I don't belong to God. In fact, First John tells me I am a child of the evil one and I sin just like he does. And so God's promises of salvation, eternal life, are not for me without Christ. And that's how I live my life. And I live my life angry and hateful and 
envious and at odds with other people too. That's the way, that's the way it is. And verse 13, but now in Christ, in Christ, that's the justified ones in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been what? You've been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. That's Christ's cross. The place where He took my sin and my punishment. In my place. For He Himself is our peace. Christ becomes our peace with God. Who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, there's so much there, but let me just summarize it as simply as I can. Christ and His cross not only brought us near to God, taking away all the anger and wrath that we deserve from God for our sin, Christ and His cross brought together all kinds of people who would normally be angry and enmity with each other. For example, Jews and Gentiles. That's what this text is talking about. And so the church... Church of Jesus Christ, because of the peace of Christ, is, is to, it, it is and it will be forever a place where all kinds of very different people come together and they say, we're all the children of God because we're at peace with God and so we're at peace with one another. Well, what does that have to do with our armor? What does that have to do with our activity? Well, Satan has a way of attacking that this kind of armor is necessary to defend his attack. He, he will attack us, first of all, we've, we've, we've listed a bunch of different of his schemes, all beginning with letter D, remember? One of them we call dismay or fear, anxiety, worry. Why? Because of sin struggles? because of circumstances, because of relational difficulties. He tempts us to be afraid of God as a believer. Be afraid of God's wrath. He wants us to be afraid. To think, man, what, what is going on in my life that, that, that God is, is God punishing me? He wants us to be afraid of what is unfolding in our lives, the circumstances that even God has allowed Him to bring into our lives. Fear, fear of death. Fear of... Eternity, fear of, of the things that, that God has in store for us in the future that may be difficult and hard. And how do we answer that attack? With the gospel of peace that declares that all of God's wrath against my sin has been absorbed in the body of Jesus on the cross. That's how I answer that. 
The circumstances that may come about in the life of a believer are never the punishment of God. Why? Where did the punishment go? Christ and the cross. Does God punish sin twice? No. If it's already been punished, then all that God allows in my life, as difficult as it may be, is His loving, chastening, disciplining hand. God no longer deals with me as an enemy, but as a son or a daughter. That's how God, why? Because I'm at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And these struggles and circumstances do not mean that God has once again become my judge. No, He's my Father who is disciplining me for my good and love. That's what Hebrews 12 tells us, right? Hebrews 12 quotes Proverbs 3. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, right? Whom the Lord loves, He chastened, and He disciplines every son whom He receives. You see, when Satan attacks and, and begins to tempt us to fear God's wrath and what difficulties are going on in our lives, that God is against us, we can remember, we can, we can know that we are at peace with God and that because of Christ, He is for us. Remember Romans 8? If God is what? For us. Then who can be against us? That's how you put on the peace. The shoes of the Gospel of peace. We've set our minds on the things of the Spirit. You set your mind on the peace that God has won through Christ. Paul relentlessly blesses his readers with grace and peace. Right? That is such a blessing to read in Paul's letters. Fill your mind with the reality of God's peace that Christ has won for you. But also think about it in the, the relational level. The evil one does not only attack, attack believers through fear that God is against them somehow. He also attacks by division in the body, right? Strained relationships. Hurts. Undealt with. Offenses. Unforgiven. Broken trust. Struggles with forgiveness. Does the evil one ever attack through those means in the body of Christ to separate people from the body? Absolutely he does. That is a very dangerous attack for an individual believer and for the body of Christ as a whole. Because it's, it's our unifying love that identifies us as the people of God. And, and a divided church is a worldly church, if a church at all. And secondarily, in situations of division, Satan also attacks with, attacks with what we call, what I'm calling, distance. You see, when something goes wrong and there's a, there's a division and a struggle and a, and a broken relationship with the church that's not, developed, not, not dealt with, what happens often? People begin to wander from each other and from the body of Christ. This is how, this is how a wolf works his schemes, right? You see that in John 10. The wolf comes to steal and kill and destroy. How, how does a wolf enter the flock? He looks for the ones who are struggling and he wants to separate them and because there's safety in the herd. Separate sheep from the flock by unresolved hurts in order to lead them astray in an effort to make them an apostate. That's exactly what the evil one wants to do. 
That's the point of Hebrews 10, 24-27. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see the writer's point? Keep together. Keep stirring one another up because there is a warning for apostasy. But we can stand our ground against the attacks of dismay and division and distance. How? With the shoes of the gospel of peace. By letting the peace of Christ Rule in your heart instead of letting fear rule or feelings or anxieties or disappointments or hurts rule in our heart. Do we believe the power of the Gospel or do we not? That's what the question is. There is no offense that is so great among the people of God that the peace of Christ is unable to rule and refresh unity and love. That's the truth. That's what it comes down to with, with broken relationships. Do I believe the cross is sufficient? And will I step into moving toward peace because the cross is powerful to recreate that peace? Or will I not? And we must stand against these attacks in the shoes of the Gospel because we desire Christ and His cross to be glorified in our lives as we exercise the peace that He has won by His bloody death. The attacks of the evil one cannot overcome the peace of Christ. So put on the shoes. You can't overcome the peace of Christ. It's already won. It's settled with God. Now you'll notice that the action words change as we come to the second three pieces of armor. Verse 14, it says, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now the words change. Instead of, instead of stand having done this, like preparation for standing, Paul writes, in all circumstances, take up. Take up the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and what's implied, take the sword of the Spirit. It's very interesting. Stand. Having done this, now it's stand and take it. In this context, it seems that Paul is highlighting essential, critical, defensive, spiritual maneuvers that we execute as our enemy is approaching. The, you, you, you have the belt fastened on. You have the breastplate fastened on. You, you have the shoes put on, standing ready for the attack. And then when the attack comes, you, you take up the shield of faith. 
put on the helmet. You take the helmet and put it on. You put on the sword of the Spirit. Or you take up the sword of the Spirit. Have these last three pieces of armor close at hand and immediately take them up the moment you see the spiritual danger approaching so that you can hold your ground and continue to stand. So what are these three pieces of armor that you take up the moment you sense spiritual attack coming? Well, you'll have to come back next week and find out about those three because we are out of time. 11.15 already. I didn't know where the time went. But you'll have to come back and hear about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. As we close this morning, I think, again, the point, Paul's point is very, very clear. Stand. Be strong in the Lord. Put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. And that's, that's the call to believers. But, but what does this text imply for those that might be here today or listening online that are, that are unbelieving, that aren't, aren't children of God yet? And that's what I want to I speak to you for just a moment this morning. If you've not trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, if that's you, listen for just a few moments. Listen to the Word of God. The Apostle John writes, 1 John 5, 18 and 19, he says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Everyone who has been born of God, that's another way of talking about salvation, spiritual resurrection, new life, born of God. That person does not keep on sinning. In other words, their life is changing. They don't live for sin like they used to. They still sin, but they don't practice it. They don't, they don't work for it. They don't, they don't love it and want to continue in it. But he who ha- was born of God protects him. God protects that person. And listen, it says there that the evil one does not touch him. That's what it means to be safe. right? To, to be protected from the evil one. That's, that's a condition that is only true for the one who is born of God. Forgiven, justified, has eternal life. When God rescues you from your sin and from the punishment of sin, He frees you. He frees you from His wrath. It's already been absorbed in Christ. He frees you from His punishment. He he frees you from the power of sin over your life. And someday, He will free you even from sin's presence when you're with Him in heaven. And, and this text tells you that He also protects you from Satan's control and influence and accusations. And that's really good news, right? But the next verse isn't so nice. Verse 19 says, and we know that we're from God and, listen, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's terrifying. Dear friend, listen to that. These aren't my words. These are the words of the Apostle John who was taught by Jesus Christ. And he said the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you're not rescued from your sin by Christ, that means you can't stop sinning on your own. You can't change your life. You're not born of God. You're separated from Christ. That means you can't escape God's wrath. That means you can't get out from under Satan's power. 
Not on your own. But 1 John 3.8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's a terrifying phrase as well. If sin is what describes my life and, 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 and I love it and I continue in it and I'm not really interested in anything about God, it says here, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I, a sinner without Christ has no power to get out from underneath the devil's influences. Those who are under the devil's control act like him. That is the condition of everyone who has not yet received Christ. And that's why sinners need salvation. That's why the church is here. To proclaim this truth. So is that your condition today? Think about it carefully. The things that this Bible says, that the Word of God says, are, are, are not a joke. They are eternal realities. But 1 John 3.8 continues. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You don't have to stay under the devil's control. You don't have to stay an object of God's wrath. You don't have to stay living in sin and its consequences. Because the Son of God appeared. That means He became a man. He came to this earth. God, the eternal Son of God, became man. And He lived a perfect life of obedience before God the Father. And He died on a cross to absorb guilt for sin and God's wrath. And He rose to give eternal life. And the only, the only one who can destroy sin and the power of Satan in your life is Christ. And He can do it. The only safe place from sin, from God's wrath and the power of Satan is in Christ. Outside of Christ, you'll be a slave to sin. You'll be a criminal condemned to God's wrath. That's true of all of us apart from Christ. Not, not, no one excluded except for Jesus, right? Under the influence and accusations of Satan. But dear friend, listen. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and to set you free from that. Has He? Has Christ set you? Do you know that Christ has set you free from sin, its punishment, its power, and someday even from its presence? You know that you'll be with God in heaven forever and enjoy all that God created for His original creation. We're, we're, it's going to be a wonderful thing. It, it makes death a door for us. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. It's a door to being with God forever. So I invite you, fear God. Fear God's wrath. Because it's real. And He's a just and holy and good judge. Hate your sin because that's the reason for God's wrath. Hate your sin. Reject your self-righteousness because there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. And trust in Christ alone. He lived. To make you righteous. He died to take your guilt and punishment. He rose to bring you out of the grave and give you eternal life. He's praying for His children to keep them and protect them. And He's coming back to finish all that He started and bring us into the eternal joys that He has as His right hand forevermore. Will you trust in Christ today? Will you turn from sin and trust in Christ? 
The apostles in the Scriptures were often asked, what must I do to be saved? And they always said the same thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's really quite simple. And that's God's work in our hearts. That's my desire for you. If you'd like to come to Christ the way the Bible invites you to, would you talk with us? Contact us. We want to show you from God's Word how you can know the joy of everlasting life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, these these words of Scripture are, are so filled with reality. And the more we understand them, the more we can see what is going on around us in this world, what's going on in our hearts. We see the big picture of what You're doing in the world. What the evil one is doing in his army. What You have planned for the church. The universal church. All of Your your children. We begin to see it more clearly. It takes shape before our eyes and we begin to see more clearly our place in Your plan. Father, as Your children, as Paul prayed, please continue to open our eyes that we may see what You've called us to, what Your plans are for the ages, and help us to make the eternal, real things our priority. Not just the temporary, fleeting things, material things of this life. Help us, Lord. Take our focus and lift it from all that is empty, and and futile, and lift it so that we can see the eternal things, the invisible things. And Father, strengthen us to stand against the temptations and the schemes of the evil one. Strengthen us, Father, please. Help us to see and identify when He is attacking us with a temptation of all different kinds. Help us to see it and to be able to exercise the armor that You've given to us to stand in truth and stand in Your righteousness and stand with with the Gospel of peace. Give us the strength and ability to do so. We pray that You would open the heart of anyone who may be listening today that has not yet come to have confidence in salvation. In Christ, they don't know that you're that they're forgiven. They don't know if they're your child, and they want to. I pray that you would move in their heart, that they would reach out and ask for someone to show them the way, to show them Christ and all that He's done. Father, save. Would you save, rescue, and do your glorious work? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.